Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week it is another Womp Womp Wednesday as the 49ers lost a game they effectively dominated. We are now three days since the last multi-game injury to a key 49ers starter. I'm not sure what we've done to anger the 49ers gods, but they took Matt Breida from me and I hate it. And just like the 49ers primetime hopes, all of my hosts were flexed to other responsibilities this week. So we bring on some new friends and some old friends to round out the show. Jared Brown is doing some great things at work, but that means he's got some extra responsibilities. So he won't be here this week, nor will he be here next week. But the podcast moves on. So this week, I welcome Ted Nguyen, NFL staff writer for The Athletic, to recap the 49ers loss versus the Cardinals and preview a primetime game versus the Packers. Ted does absolutely phenomenal work for The Athletic. He is a film junkie. He breaks down the All-22 and has lots of valuable insights on The Athletic. If you're not reading his stuff, you definitely should. Then I welcome back Eric Crocker, friend of the pod, former NFL and AFL corner, to get into detail on the secondary in a segment that we started this week, may end this week, who knows, but we're going to call it Going Deep with Eric Crocker. I really want to dig into the secondary because that's a, a problem part for the team And I want to talk a little bit more specifically about the individual players, their performances, and look at it through the lens of a former NFL corner. So without further ado, here is our interview with The Athletic's Ted Nguyen. Ted, thanks for coming on the Better Rivals podcast. How are you doing, man? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing really well. Uh, I'm sad because this is, uh, if you've listened to the show, what this is the perfect example of the elegant tank. We had nearly double the plays Mm -hmm. against Arizona. We had double the yards double the time of possession. This is one of the worst teams in the league, and yet the Niners managed to lose by double digits. What the hell happened? Well, I mean, I think that the yard screen passes, and um, you know, when you have five turnovers and you give the other team short field, um, they don't have to drive that far to score touchdowns. I thought the Niners' defense did play well. Um, and, and the offense produced some big plays, but um, in the end, they just couldn't finish in the red zone and take care of the ball. Well, let's talk a little bit about the opening game script for the 49ers, because I thought, frankly, it was a really good game script for Bethard. This is a script that was intended to take advantage of the Arizona Cardinals blitzing tendencies. They're a super aggressive defense, and they blitzed the hell out of Bethard. But you see the first two pass plays were screens. They went back to a screen on the long play to use check that got them into the red zone. And then the shovel play in the red zone on that opening touchdown was also kind of an aggressiveness check, a constraint play. Uh, what did you think of, of the game plan in general? Uh, and what else came out to you or jumped out to you from, from that 49ers game? Uh, I think uh, the opening script for the Niners always has been really good. And I thought this was uh, another example of a good opening script by Kyle Shanahan. Um, they obviously wanted to, their game plan against the Cardinals aggressive scheme was to uh, run screens, screens against them. And they got a lot of yardage from them. And, uh, they ran a variety of different types of screens that I thought were pretty interesting. Um, I think they started off with a couple fullback screens to use check. Um, they, they had some tunnel screens to Richie James and a slot. Um, they had that shovel, um, shovel screen. That was really interesting. We'll, we'll talk more about that. And um, they had a tight, they had tight end, uh, tight end screen to Kittle that went for forty five yards. Well, um, so yeah, they, they the game plan was to use screens, and um, he came up with a nice little uh, package of screen plays that I think any team could take and copy because that, that was a clinic on how to run screens. Let's talk about those screens because I think that it, it's super interesting. The, the offensive line was remade, of course, to be more athletic, and and yes, they're a little lighter, but this is the offensive line that Kyle Shanahan wanted and it was on display on, on those screens so what did you see from the offensive line in, in getting out in space and then let's talk a bit about that that shovel screen in the end zone because i thought it was pretty neat as well yeah i think um with with those screens i think the first thing that jumps out is uh, the different type of deception um that was were layered in those screens so with that first shovel screen uh first bethard faked like he was going to drop back then he faked a draw handoff then he dropped back again and that really confused the linebackers. The linebackers thought they read play actions. They dropped off. And um, the, the reason why the shovel is a little more effective than a, a normal screen where you throw over, over the guy's head is because um, that shovel screen is mo- more of a vertical play. And, I, you know, when running back, you usually execute a running back slip screen. 
the running back works his way to the sideline. It takes a little longer. Linemen have to go flat and then upfield. But with that shovel, it's really quick and really ver- uh, vertical. And um, you could shovel it with your left hand instead of trying to throw it over a defensive end with your right hand. Um, so it, it was a really quick hitting play, really clever. You get it right underneath the defensive end. And um, it created really easy angles for the lineman to block on that screen. Beathard's actually done a really good job of, of kind of getting the ball out at awkward angles on those screens the last couple of games. Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, we it, it gets overplayed a little bit, but Beathard is a tough guy and he can take hits and he's not afraid to invite the rush in. Um, and wait till the very last second to get rid of those screens. So I think that's another uh, part of the, why those screens are so effective. That's the first time I've heard that. I did not know that Beathard was a tough quarterback or that he was gritty <laughs> or that he can take it. That's that's surprising to me. I wouldn't have thought that. No, yeah, you got you to gotta throw all the superlatives in there. <laughs> I still think that uh, uh, previous co-host David said it best that I think teams take out their nickelback hate on Beathard since he's the closest correlate they have to the lead singer of Nickelback. So it's just pent-up Nickelback <laughs> aggression is really what it is. Ah, uh, okay. okay. That, that makes a lot of sense. So the Niners did really, really well offensively over the course of the game, but they couldn't punch it in. Why do you think they couldn't actually score points, despite the fact that they had over 90 offensive plays, tons of opportunities to do it, and had the ball for almost double the time of possession? Uh, I, I think most of it were turnovers and sacks. Um, so the screens were effective at countering the blitzes, but I don't think that Beathard handled blitzes really well on straight dropback plays on, um, on the most crucial uh, fumble that won in the fourth quarter with uh, less than five minutes left in a game. He, uh, he had a five-man protection. The Cardinals brought six, which meant there's a free rusher, um, and they were playing man-to-man coverage. He wanted to go to Trent Taylor against Buda Baker, but... Uh, to me, that's not the best matchup. Um, you know, when you're going against man coverage, you want to find your best matchups. Baker is, uh, you know, arguably maybe the Cardinals' best defender right now. Uh, and he had George, he had Kittle against four, 34-year-old Antoine Bethea to the left running an out route. Um, and that would have been a more favorable matchup to go to. But instead, he waited for Taylor. Taylor couldn't get open against Baker. Held, he double-clutched the ball. He got sacked and returned for a touchdown and sealed the game. So Beathard's really has to um, get better at handling blitzes, knowing where to go with the ball. And he's going to have to against another blitz-heavy team in the Green Bay Packers under Mike Pettin. I think, yeah, to, to further your point, when you look at Beathard's splits, his PFF grades under pressure, not under pressure, when he had no pressure, his PFF grade was 74.2. This, this is pretty good. It's above average. Under pressure, 27.9. Uh, he was as good at throwing the football as, I guess, Jordan Devy was at blocking for quarterbacks. Uh, and when you look at when he was blitzed, his blitzing PFF grade, or, or his grade when he was blitzed, was 46.5. When he wasn't blitzed, it was 70.4. So it was definitely a tale of, of two kind of experiences. One, when you weren't blitzed, when you're not under pressure, he was doing well and he was playing above average. But the moment he felt the pressure, the moment he was blitzed, all of a sudden, the wheels fell off. And while the Kyle Shanahan did run a lot of screens, he couldn't run screens all game, even though he did kind of go back to some of the script at the opening of the second half and said, you know what, let's try it again. And it, and it kind of worked. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's not because he's scared. Like, again, he's a tough quarterback, but it's not because he's scared of the rush. It's because he just doesn't, he's not really experienced with handling blitzes and knowing where to go right away. Um, that's something that takes experience and takes a lot of studying uh, to get better at. So he, he'll have to study up pretty quick this week. One thing I thought was really interesting in the game was the, the development of the zone blocking scheme because I thought it was it's really coming together for the 49ers and this offensive line. They had double-digit runs over the B, C, and D gaps to each side of the football. The only place they didn't have double-digit runs was basically in the A gaps to either side of the center. So, And Brita, of course, had two of those runs, but even Alfred Morris got in the game a little bit. So why do you think that the, that the offensive line is finally gelling? I mean, we know they've got an infusion of talent, sure, but... What is it about this scheme that finally is getting them into a groove after five games? Yeah, I, I was actually really surprised at how well the running ball. I thought they would run the ball better this year with the better talent and another year under uh, another, another year of experience in the outside zone scheme. It usually takes a year to learn the scheme, and they're in their second year now, and they have some new guys, but those guys have experience in this scheme. Uh, um, I think Breed is a big key, too. I mean, I, I was really like that they hit big runs in almost every gap. 
uh, except for a gap, but sometimes that's how it works out in the outside zone. You don't know exactly which hole you're going to hit yet. Um, but last year when I was watching Brita, I, I noticed he, how explosive he was, but he just wasn't patient. He would take the hand off and run full speed into uh, his lineman's, lineman's back. And, you know, with the outside zone scheme, you, you want to be patient, find the hole, then accelerate. And you're, you're starting to see that with Brita where he's, he's being patient. He's letting blocks develop. And then he's hitting the hole at full speed. And, um, yeah, his development has been really surprising. And he averaged seven yards of care before he, he left the game. Um, so is on Brita. He, I think Hyde really struggled with the, the scheme last year. And, uh, and a part of it is just this offensive line has better talent and they know what to do with the scheme. They know each other. They know who needs a double team when and who doesn't need a double team and when to release the second level. Uh, so all the things come into play and um, getting that running game better. There was one play where the Niners were backed up into their own end zone and they, they ran an outside zone to try and get them a little unstuck. And Brita waits just a little bit and squeezes out outside on the right side of the line and ends up going for a big gain. It, I think that play exemplifies the patience that you're talking about that that ended up serving the 49ers so well. It's it's just unfortunate that he's going to be out for a couple of weeks with with an ankle sprain and, and that hurts it really does uh you know that's i guess that's that's how you stop the magic train that is brita you you take out his ankles and it sucks yeah he he's uh he's a big loss obviously because morris is good and he'll he'll maximize runs as much as he can but he just doesn't have that um that explosive ability that brita does and um and then you have to think about who's going to spell Morris when he gets tired because uh, I, I can't get his, say his name right. Who, how do you say the second back's name? Raheem Mostert. Yeah, Mostert. He, you know, he's, he doesn't have that much big playability. He doesn't look very explosive. But on top of that, he fumbles on one of his two carries. And uh, when you do that, you just lose the trust of the, the coaching staff. So uh, we'll see who, how they split the carries and – um, how the run game goes and the offensive line is blocking better. But, you know, anytime you lose that explosive ability, it just hurts. Now, it's a, it's a tradition on the Better Rivals podcast to mispronounce names. So now I'm curious, how would you have pronounced Raheem Mostert? Uh, I would have said, I would have said Mostert. Uh, I would have left out the T, I think. <laughs> ah, there you go. Mostert. I like it. I'm there. <laughs> now, he was a high weight speed guy. He runs fast and he runs fast in a straight line. Uh, but I yeah. don't know if uh, it, that's not the same as agility or the same kind of uh, acceleration that you might see from someone like Matt Breida. But let's talk about the defense because the big story of the game was that this was the defense's best game. They were able to hold the the Cardinals to uh, to basically nothing and yet still mm-hmm. lost the game because of the turnovers. In your opinion, did the defense play really well in this game or did the Cardinals just leave a lot on the table and, and shot themselves in the foot? Um, I, the, I thought the front, the defensive front, just absolutely dominated the Cardinals. Um, the, and that's what they're supposed to do. I mean, the Cardinals have one of the worst offensive lines in the league, and um, the, the Niners have some talent up, up front with the, all the first round draft picks. Um, so yeah, they just absolutely dominated. They, there was just plays where they just reset the entire defensive line, reset the the offensive line, uh, reset the line of scrimmage. Um, I think. Derek, uh, David Johnson only averaged three yards a carry. Um, the Cardinals only averaged 4.3 yards per play the entire day. They only gained 220 yards. So the defense was definitely good. I mean, um, it, I would say they, they played very well, but I wouldn't say completely dominant, um, you know, because they were put in some tough situations. But if they were completely dominant, they would have held, held them to field goals instead of uh, touchdowns, even on a short field. And, um, and I know that's asking a lot especially because of the they had to overcome five turnovers um but i I, you know i think if you want to say that a team had a dominant dominant performance they would have held the cardinals out the end zone yeah i think you're right i think the defensive front definitely played well the the top five graded players were all defensive linemen and i think a lot of that was driven by their ability to stop the run the the because of just the absolute misuse of David Johnson and because I think the front played so well, you didn't have to worry about the, the team running on on the defense. But I think Josh Rosen didn't really play a great game. The Niners pressured Rosen on 42% of his dropbacks, which definitely affected him. Th- this dude had a 46% completion percentage when he wasn't pressured. So from a clean pocket, he's completing passes at, like, at a less clip than like YA Tittle at this point. And, and he's just missing people wide open. 
And, and I think if the Cardinals had a quarterback that played at an average or competent level in this game, it's a blowout. Yeah, he definitely missed a bunch of receivers. And you know, two to nine is pretty. I think part of that is um, the high pressure rate they have. You know, if you're pressing quarterbacks, it could throw them off their game. Um, but you're right. If uh, he hit some of those passes, it, it would have definitely changed the dynamic of the game. Now, of course, Rosen's best play was the touchdown pass. And and this was, I, I mean, immediately when I saw it, I was like, oh, God, this is this is something Adrian Colbert should be familiar with because it's a concept that Kyle Shanahan loves to run. Uh, it's the yep. Yankee concept. We've covered it on the podcast lots. It's a two-route basic concept. You've got a crossing route over the middle of the field, and then you've got a deep post. And it's meant to go up against cover one and kind of beat cover one. So, so walk me through the concept for those that are uninitiated and, and talk to me why it's so difficult for that middle safety to, uh, to kind of get in conflict there with that deep post. Well, it's, it's a hard play-action play, so you, you want to get a really strong play-action fake, and that holds up the underneath defenders, and um, that kind of puts the free safety in a bind because you have a deep cross coming across the field, and then you have a deep post going right down the middle of the field. So uh, I think it was it Colbert on the play that uh, was he the free safety? Oh, yeah, he was. I mean, it, yeah. I, free safety in air quotes. He was there. Uh-huh. So he saw uh, Larry Fitzgerald running a deep cross, and he ran towards the deep cross and left that uh, deep post wide open down the middle of the field. Um, and like you said, this is a concept he should be familiar with because he sees it every day in practice. Uh, it's one that Kyle Shanahan himself kind of made um, or re, you know, brought back to the league and really kind of uh, made famous. So he, he should know better than that. Yeah, and it's not like the Cardinals were, were setting up Yankee or setting up plays that went off of it because when you're defending Kyle Shanahan offenses, it's really easy to get caught up in some of the, the other things that Shanahan will do. He'll throw a blaze route so it'll make it look like it's a deep post, but it's really going to be a, a hitch to the outside. Sometimes, you know, he'll, he'll just completely go and have, have it look like a sale concept basically to one side where you, it looks like a deep post, but then you come back to the other side. You've got different ways in which Shanahan will throw this concept at you or throw the stem at you. But the, this was the first play of the game. This was just nothing set up, just a straight-up call. And, and he basically abated his primary responsibility, which was the middle of the field, don't get beat deep. That's the first thing he did. All of a sudden, you get touchdown. Yeah, just a really aggressive play. And, um, yeah, not a good way to start a game for sure. So overall, I think the defense probably played, yes, maybe one of their best games. That doesn't mean they necessarily played a great game. Josh Rosen probably had a lot to do with it. Uh, he, uh, I thought he would actually play better in this game than he did. But overall, not great. Let, let's talk about the Packers, though, and let's talk a little bit about the game that's coming up because the Packers are ailing where the 49ers are weakest. They're coming into Monday Night Football. Couldn't get flexed out of Monday night. <laughs> uh, but the Packers are decimated at wide receiver. You've got Randall Cobb, Geronimo Allison, both out. We get to see our pre-draft favorite, Equinemius St. Brown, for no other reason than his name is Equinemius St. Brown. But <laughs> do, you, do you think that the Niners, or, or what the hell's going on with the Packers' offense? Because they're decimated at wide receiver. Mike McCarthy's had talk of being on the hot seat, but they still have Aaron Rodgers. Do you think this is a game where the defense can kind of continue its upward trajectory, or do you think Aaron Rodgers is going to be too much? Uh, man, this is this is tough because I feel like every time Aaron Rodgers gets criticized and he is being criticized by the Green Bay media and I think a little unfairly, he comes out and has a really strong game. And um, so, so the Niners are kind of getting caught in the wrong end of that right now. Uh, so, yeah, so like you said, the, the Green Bay's um, receiving core is just decimated. Uh, they, they don't have a lot of veteran backups. A lot of their receivers that are playing right now are really, really young um, rookies. And um, with Rodgers... He, he makes a lot of plays out of structure, and um, he needs his receivers to be on the same page as him when he breaks out the pocket and know their scramble rules. And I think um, they really struggled with that against Detroit. There was um, a, on his second fumble, no, on, his, uh, on Rogers' first fumble, he broke out the pocket, and he was waiting for somebody to run back into his field of vision because he's used to that. Uh, but none of the receivers ran towards him they ran into each other and fell down so oh, he was yeah. trying to redirect that clip. <laughs> yeah, yeah he, he was trying to redirect traffic and nobody was there and he got sacked and he fumbled the ball um so yeah these guys have to get on the same page as roger uh rogers he's struggling with that and but in a, in a second half he came out strong almost brought them completely back 
Um, so, um, yeah, I think it's just a matter of them getting on the same page. And I think um, against Detroit, they took a step towards that in the second half. And, um, I mean, he ended up with three touchdowns. He's getting criticized. So, um, and, and as we know, this the Niners secondary has had his struggles. Uh, but the big key, I think, against Rodgers is to, uh, you know, you're not going to get a super strong rush against those two offensive tackles. It might be the best tackle combo in the league. Um, so as far as just those edge guys, you have to contain Rodgers and DeForest Buckner has to destroy the middle of that uh, offensive line and harass him up the middle, but they can't let Rodgers outside the pocket. Yeah, I think Bakhtiari is one of the best tackles in football right now. You're, you're absolutely right. And Buckner has a little bit of, of a matchup advantage going up the on the inside with left guard Lane Taylor. Lane Taylor's not doing well, but Lane Taylor's probably going to get a lot of help from Lindsay, uh, from Lindsley. Lindsley's playing pretty solid um, at, at center, and he, he's a top 10 center so far this year. So I think you're right. I mean, at this point with Edge, the Niners can't expect a whole hell of a lot, even though Cassius Marsh had a sneakily good game uh, against mm-hmm. the Cardinals. But the Cardinals, again, with a, with a weaker offensive line, you can do that. When you look at how the, the Packers attacked the... Detroit Lions, they did a lot of stack releases, a lot of switch releases, especially with Devontae Adams, trying to beat their man coverage schemes. The Niners run quite a bit more zone. So if you're the Green Bay Packers and you're Mike McCarthy and you're drawing up your game plan, what types of things and and in which kind of ways are you going to attack the Niners defense with Aaron Rodgers? Uh, You know, uh, Rodgers doesn't really, uh, he's not, Tom Brady, where he's going to take check down after check down. And I think that cover three uh, Seattle type of defense, uh, they want to force you to drive the ball and check the ball down. Uh, But it's tough because sometimes I don't know what McCarthy wants to accomplish on offense. Um, (laughs) That sounds like a ringing endorsement. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, because the thing is, Rodgers, he he just doesn't play the quarterback, uh, the typical way he doesn't just sit back and hit rhythm passes he he'll wait it's almost like he invites the russian because he wants to get outside and uh, try to make a play um but as far as um the way that one attack it obviously you know you could run four verticals you could run um hitch seam combos uh slant flat and any cover three beater um but i i just think that uh the Packers are going to try to beat the Niners like like they always try to beat them. With I uh, beat other teams is with Rodgers making plays and getting outside the pocket. Yeah, I think you you called that one of McCarthy's favorite concepts, which is the slant flat. He's run that a ton this season. The the Mike McCarthy is getting a ton of criticism so far, and he's I mean it's been kind of a steady drumbeat over the last couple of years. And I think Tom Brady was quoted as saying that if if Aaron Rodgers were with Belichick in the New England offense. That he, you know, he would have just a bajillion rings. That's not a direct quote, but it, he he communicated the sentiment. What do you think is wrong with the Packers' offense, and, and do you think Mike McCarthy is the source? I, again, that's hard to say because Rodgers isn't going to sit back and run the concepts like um, like they're drawn up. So it's it's hard to say exactly what he's trying to do. And I haven't studied the Green Bay offense enough to give you. Uh, a great answer, but it just seems like he's in shotgun two by two um, the entire game, and he's just you know <laughs> drop dropping back. There's no variety. There's no um, there's not a huge creative screen game like the Niners have. Um, they abandon the run too quickly, uh, and when you do that, they don't have a play action package to go with it. So it just seems like they're always just doing straight dropbacks, and it becomes predictable after a while. Now, on defense, if you were to attack one piece of the Green Bay Packers defense, where would you go? Because their front's pretty good. I mean, Daniels, Clark, and Lowry uh, are pretty awesome. You've got Perry and Matthews. They're kind of the forgotten men in Green Bay, especially now that, that Dom Capers is no longer their, their defensive coordinator. But Mike Pettin, it's a defense the Niners are kind of familiar with. Jim O'Neill ran, I guess, a version of it, a loose facsimile of it when he was in San Francisco. But it is a blitzing attacking defense, and so... Uh, do you think they're just going to go ahead and, and, and pin their ears back and get after Beathard again and do a bit of the Arizona strategy? Or, or do you think they'll take some other tact and just play coverage and say, beat us with your arm, we don't care? No, I, I think they're going to... I think Penton is aggressive, and I think uh, after watching Cardinals tape, they're they're going to bring the pressure. Uh, so um, I, I think that the way you want to attack that defense is they have some young defensive backs out there, and you you want to make them communicate 
uh, with a bunch of switch switch releases, uh, bunch formations, um, and which Niners do have. Kyle uh, Shanahan has one of the best, you know, bunch uh, bunch packages out of out of any offensive coordinator. So I think that's going to work well for them. Um, so yeah, just make make these guys communicate, make them play in and out coverages, make them switch correctly. Um, but you have to you have to have answers against the blitz too. So um, again, Beathard has to know where to go against certain blitzes. And if you're going to do that switch release stuff, you have to have quick switches and uh, quick concept of switch, switch releases, which they did show against the Cardinals a few times. All right, last two questions. What's a matchup you'll be watching uh, in the game? Because everyone's going to be forced to watch this Monday night game. Everyone's eyes are going to bleed. It's going to be great. Uh, so when, when you're wiping away the tears of sadness, uh, what's the matchup that you'll be watching? Uh, I, I want to see DeForest Buckner um, play against the Green this Green Bay interior. I know the Green Bay interior is, has it, they have quality players there, uh, but this is a game where if DeForest Buckner is not dominating, I just don't think that the Niners' uh, defense really stands a chance. And you know, DeForest Buckner has been kind of underrated, and this is the game where he's going to be in the spotlight and it, he can really show off the type of player he is. Uh, so, yeah, I want to see Buckner really uh, play well against this uh, Green Bay interior. Yeah, I think I'm going to be watching the trenches, but on the other side, I think Mike McGlinchey has had a, a good season, a quietly good season. And he's, of course, a much better run blocker than he is a pass blocker, at least right now. He's the number one rated run blocking tackle on Pro Football Focus. His pass blocking grade, though, is just average. It's just a little bit better than Trent Brown. So all in all, it is an upgrade from Trent Brown uh, with an elite run blocking kind of sprinkle in there. But I think that that when you look at this game, someone like Matthews and someone like Perry, they're going to be licking their chops. They're going to want to go after these tackles. And, and I think you're right. I think you're going to see lots of blitzes. And as a result, I want to see how McGlinchey holds up, how how he holds up against their uh, their pass rush sets and against the likes of Matthews and Williams. Um, and I think the the little kid in me just wants to see the Niners run a zone read concept and see one of them just get confused again for all time's sake, just because. Why not? Yeah, I want to. I want to see CJ go for a seventy-yard touchdown run on zone read, like uh, like he did against the Chargers. I would. That would be my Super Bowl. That would be my Super Bowl. I would absolutely <laughs> lose my shit. Um, the, the last question prediction spreads nine and a half. Of course, Green Bay's favored. It's in Green Bay at Lambeau. What do you think happens? Do you think the Niners cover? Uh, and and if not, uh, then how much do you think they lose by? What was the point spread? Nine and a half. Nine and a half. That's uh, a lot of points. Yeah, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Green Bay covers. Um, I just like I said, whenever Aaron Rodgers gets criticized, I just feel like next week comes out and lights it up. And I just don't know if CJ could um, keep pace with him. So I'm, I'm gonna say uh, Green Bay covers. Yeah, I'm gonna. I think it's a good question. I think I just the the person in me is like, man, ten points. That's a lot of points. And then I'm like, hey, Arizona just threw up ten points, <laughs> and, that, and that's <laughs> what they beat us by. <laughs> but you know what? This cost me nothing. I put no money on this game, so I'm going to say the Niners cover the spread even if they don't win. So that's, uh, that, that's why you don't take your betting advice from me. Keep the elegant tank going. Oh, my God. It's so inelegant. It's, it's tragic. <laughs> but you know what, man? I'm going I'm to watch Edge Rusher film here in just a week or two. It's about that time. <laughs> it's almost draft season. <laughs> it's, man, things... I'm laughing because I, I don't want to cry. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the only thing you can do sometimes that's right man that's right well ted thanks for coming on uh they can always catch your stuff on the athletic you're an nfl staff writer for the athletic your five uh you know kind of coolest plays or five best plays of the week is a must read i make sure that i read it every week uh, and if the fans want to follow you on twitter they can follow you at fb underscore film analysis ted thanks again for coming on the show man it was a good time yeah thanks for having me on it was fun And now we welcome Eric Crocker. Eric, you're an official friend of the pod now. Thanks for coming back, man. Ah, oh, man, thanks for thanks for having me on. So the secondary this year has been uh, uh, suboptimal, not excellent. Choose your euphemism, uh, but they haven't been great. Outside of maybe Richard Sherman, the secondary as a, as a whole unit, we were hoping they would step up and take the next step, but they haven't so far. So what I was hoping to be able to do was to kind of dig a little deeper into the performance of a couple of players, uh, given that y- you've played football both in the NFL and in the AFL I thought it'd be a good idea to have you on to to talk a little bit about the position that you've played as well as the position that you continue to coach at at the youth level out there in California so 
let's let's start with some of these one-year wonders, uh, and let's start with the Keller Witherspoon. Um, I mean, what can right. you say about a Keller Witherspoon right now other than you thought he'd be better by now? Yeah, so it is hard because I don't know to what extent the the injury has kind of hampered him. You know, um, you know, week one he did give up the you know the thirty yard touchdown to or twenty yard touchdown to Diggs. Um, great throw, great catch. He actually had pretty good coverage, and he was targeted about four other times in that same game. Didn't give up a completion. Well, after the game, you know, we find out there's there's an ankle injury and. And he has like a hip injury. He's missing some practice time. Um, we get into the Lions game. He has tape, you know, dang there, you know, up to his calves, you know, taped, taped his ankles up. And he's not playing as well. So, some of it was mental, like the uh, the first touchdown to, I believe it was Galladay. Um, you know, he bit on the, on the run action and uh, let Galladay go. Um, and then other stuff was, you know, he kind of just wasn't moving like his normal self. And then you find out later, you know, you got Kyle Shanahan trying to cover for him. Hey, you know, maybe I shouldn't have played him. Um, and then, you know, going into the to the Chiefs week, he didn't start. Uh, and I'm assuming it's because of the injury. Um, obviously, he didn't play well in the Lions game. They probably, you know, the the NFL or any sports in general, you know, if, if you can play, then you're you're out there. They don't want to hear the excuse that you're hurt. Um, so I'm assuming that they said, you know what, he's not he's not a hundred percent right now. Let's not play him if we don't have to. And they, they sat him down. Well, unfortunately Sherman got hurt. So then Witherspoon had to play regardless. Um, and even in that game, he wasn't, you know, he didn't play, uh, what he played like most of pretty much the second half. Um, and then after that, you have the chargers game and, and then, you know, this last game against the Cardinals. Um, but overall kind of what I'm seeing, man, is a combination of two things with him. Uh, confidence. Uh, he's not playing with the same confidence that he played with um, last year. Uh, that it, and that can be, you know, I don't know if the injury started it, and then now he's, you know, just not playing well. And that that can get to people, especially when you see it on social media and you see people talking about you, and it's just like, oh, Witherspoon, he sucks. He's this. He's that. Like, and these guys see social media, man. They all see it. And that can, you know, sometimes kind of mess with some people's uh, psyche a little bit and affect, and it looks like it might be, you know, affecting his play to, to an extent. But It's just such a drastic with, difference, though, because he, you know, he played 12 games last year, and that's not an insignificant amount of time. I mean, that's basically, uh, you know, three quarters of a season. And he had, a, he had an above average season. He had a season that left fans thinking, okay, this is this could be a piece to build around. I know that certainly we were excited about him on this podcast, but when you look at him this season, man, his his overall defensive grade from Pro Football Focus is dead last among corners with at least 250 snaps. That's 55 man, that's out of 55. <laughs> no, it's not, it's not good at all. And, and I think you're right. It, it, injuries do matter, and especially injuries at a position where you're you're required to explode and get in and out of in and out of breaks, I think that can hamper a corner. And that is something you have to take into context. But that that kind of fall, I mean, I guess you can look at it two ways, right? On the one hand, you could say for him to fall that fast, that quickly, something has to be there like an injury. Um, but, you know, the, the other the other kind of looming thing is maybe it was just a, a one-hit wonder, a one-year wonder. And, and now when you see extended play, now he's getting in his own head and and this is ultimately where, you know, maybe he'll bounce back, but he won't bounce back to the kind of super promising player that he was before. Well, I mean, that, that, that you can look at it like that, but say Marshawn Lattimore. And I, I don't know what his PFF grade is right now, but I know he was one of the top corners in the league last year. And he started off a little rocky, and his drop was probably similar to Witherspoon's as far as what he's done this year. Sometimes, it, you know, it at the cornerback position, it's kind of easy for things to just not go your way. And that's what, you know, as as fans and, you know, people, you know, kind of looking in, we notice that big time. Like when it's not going your your way, we, we notice it. And, and it could be a thing where he just, I mean, he's just not, not I don't want to say not lucky, but he, he's definitely not making any plays. And I think that's a bigger, bigger issue to me where, yeah, if you give us some catches here and there, all right, but are you getting interceptions? Are you, you know, breaking up a ton of passes? And we're not seeing that from him. And so that's that's kind of the most alarming thing. He's uh, he's not challenging challenging himself that like I thought I saw last year, where 
he got beat last year. He, he, he got bombed on in the first game against the, the Eagles, his first start. It was a week eight. He had his first start. He gave up the long pass to Jeffrey. Came back. He had an interception that game. He had a couple pass breakups because he was challenging, challenging, challenging himself. I don't see that from him now. And a lot of times that comes from lack of confidence. Yeah, so when you look at uh, Lattimore's grade this year, Lattimore's grade is in the 60s, actually. Uh, it's not as great now. He was, of course, one of the best corners in the league last year. And I think, yeah, I mean, you might be onto something, right? Because Lattimore is injured this year again. I think he didn't play uh, this past game. Uh, he His grade is 63.8, puts um, somewhere in the 50s as well when you're looking at all of the, the corners who have played at least right. uh, about. they played. So you have to kind of do the, the filtering on PFF a little weird, but basically... If you've played at least twenty percent of three hundred and ninety snaps, which is about a game's worth of of tape, you're you're looking at that roster of cornerbacks, which is about I don't know one hundred and sixteen, uh, right. and Akella Witherspoon, based on that metric, is one ten out of one sixteen, mm-hmm. uh, and Lattimore is like fifty five out of one sixteen. Similar kind of drop, right, from the top to to the middle, but um, right. So that's what I was saying. Their their drop off from where they were is is similar. You know, I mean now. It's, it might not be as noticeable with Lattimore just because he played so well last year, but he's not himself in, in his, you know, or he's not what we saw last year. So what's the difference? And is it something that they can come back from? I believe so. But when, when they're going through something like this, the, even with the Saints, I'd be curious to see how they, you know, monitor that situation. Do they let him play through it? Or do they start rotating him? And when you start rotating young guys, now they start getting in their own heads because now it's like, if I make a mistake, I'm coming out. And that's that's tough. You, you can't play the cornerback position like that. So then what you end up doing is you start playing everything safe. And, okay, I'm going to just give up these underneath catches and hope I don't get beat deep. Um, but then now you're just out there. You're not making any plays, and that's not good either. So one of the things that we've noticed this year with Akello is is some of those mental mistakes, and you alluded to him a little earlier. He he's made a couple of mistakes this season that were a little uncharacteristic, especially considering that you're expecting year two in the same defensive system, a defensive system that is is not one of the more complex defensive systems in the NFL. The the cover three system, you know, it's not super easy. They don't line up in cover three every single play. There's there's match rules and there's different kinds of things. So it's not you know, basic in, in the truest sense. But compared to other really complicated defenses, it, it's not on the high end of complicated. So, Right, not at all. Yeah, is, so, so what kinds of, I mean, you, you played in, in a Rex Ryan defense, right? I can only imagine what that right. playbook was like, right? So, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. so, so what kinds of, what could help explain some of that mental, some of those mental errors? Because that's not a physical deficiency. That's not your ankle. That is, that is a, that's not playing assignments on football. All right, so it's just a lot of times, you know, where are your eyes at? So, like I said, you know, I, I talked about the Galladay touchdown. You know, why are you looking in the backfield? You are the last resort to the outside, you know. if But your first responsibility is I'm in man coverage because I, I looked at the other side of the field. Richard Sherman was in man coverage. He locked his guy up. Um, he was the only guy on that play that got beat, and Stafford, you know, saw it right away. Uh, so that, that one was on him for sure. Um, I know there was another play against the Chargers. Uh, they lined up uh, Gordon and Antonio Gates, kind of tight split. Yeah, that's the one and I'm thinking it, of too, where he just lets yeah. he lets the tight end just release right into the corner of the end zone. Right. So, so, so now with that, I just from what I saw from that, and then how they played that the rest of the game, it looked like it was more on Foster. Um, sometimes when guys see somebody flash by their face, they just automatically think like oh switch but that's something that should be communicated before the play um it's a banjo you know so it's like you know inside out inside out yeah banjo coverage for those that are wondering is a coverage that helps with stacked receivers or bunches where you as a coverage defender will basically just take whomever is going to go to the outside and the person who's the coverage defender who's on the inside takes whichever receiver breaks inside so it's called banjo coverage but that's why it's it's inside out if i'm outside i take the guy who breaks outside if i'm inside i take the guy who breaks inside irrespective of where they line up in that bunch formation right but from what i saw from the rest of the game because there were a couple um, other times where um, it was Quan Williams and Witherspoon. Witherspoon played it the exact same way, and and Williams ran with the guy that went out. So I, I'm I'm not 100% sure, but I think if if that's how they were supposed to be playing it, and that's how they played it the rest of the game, then Foster was the one that was wrong in that play. But even then, where's the communication at? 
You know, yeah. those are simple, simple things. And as long as you let somebody know before the play, hey, banjo, 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 you know, you don't have those type of mistakes. Uh, so, you know, For- those are just things that, I mean, I, I see across the, the defense. There was a play against the Chiefs um, right up the scene. Uh, they scored a touchdown on the left side. It was uh, Jimmy Warden at that time. And I saw Jimmy Ward just looking like, it's like, no, dude, you're supposed to be reading two to one. And you're not. Like, that's very, that's the basics of cover three. You read two to one. And he didn't. And the tight end just ran right up the scene, butt naked. Nobody, nobody, you know, <laughs> untouched, untouched. It's like, man, like, those, I, I'm probably, I probably sound frustrated right now because there's a lot of elementary mistakes that I see happening with the defense. And they, it just shouldn't happen. And even when I watch all 22, I see even other mistakes, especially from the, uh, the linebackers. Oh man, we're not even we're not going to talk about the linebackers because I've already like, yeah, I went out they're whole, dropping some stuff too. Oh so, man, Malcolm yeah, Smith when he like because same thing right when when you're when you're rotating over and, and you're in that cover three and you think on the backside okay we're going to read right what what's your linebacker going to do if he goes out to the slot just like you said you got to read to carry him up the seam if he goes vertical you carry him you have to carry right. him and you let your, your other linebacker who's going to play you know kind of the the flat area if you get a three out there from the backfield. But instead, Malcolm Smith is just like, I'm going to just sit right here. No big deal. Uh, and all of a sudden, you've got a, a player in the seam. So it's it's I, we could talk about the, the linebackers are my sore <laughs> spot because Malcolm Smith is this whole thing. But let's let's talk about Adrian Colbert. He's one of the other one year wonders. He had a similar area of success last year. Smaller sample than Akella Witherspoon, but was still really successful. Uh, above average player last year. Um, but this year, another abysmal season. He allowed the long reception versus the Cardinals. Of course, they're, they're pretty only successful play. And this is a bit of a pattern because we saw him bite on an outside move versus the Chiefs on a very, very similar concept. It's, it's the Yankee concept. It's just a, a crosser with a deep post. Two of the four receptions that Colbert has allowed this season have been on that concept. And it's a concept he sees in practice all the time. He's right. seen four targets on 41 coverage snaps. He's allowed four receptions for a perfect 158.3 passer rating allowed. He hasn't allowed, uh, and he hasn't had a coverage grade above 52, and that was against Detroit. When it comes to that middle safety, right? what the hell's going on with Colbert that, that could explain why he's taken such a precipitous decline? Uh, it's so weird, man, because when you watched him last year, that was some of the best single high safety film that you, you can watch across the league. I mean, it wasn't Earl Thomas good, but it was right underneath that, you know, uh, right underneath like Earl Thomas or Eric Berry. Uh, right underneath that, it would have been Colbert. I mean, he, he was he was driving on stuff underneath. He was playing sideline to sideline. He was hitting balls, knocking them out, knocking balls out guys' hands. Uh, you know, almost got an interception, dropped it. He had the cast on his hand. Uh, I mean, he was all over the place. It was like great stuff. He was very in, in, instinctive. Um, it was it was almost as good of single high safety film as you can see, and it was like wow, like well you don't even really have to get better, just just be this guy, just be consistent, and that's what I thought, you know, even from all these guys, and and, and Colbert, you he's just you're just not seeing it, you're not seeing him make any plays. Um, I mean, I've seen him flash like, a couple times. Well, okay, Colbert, that was that was pretty good, but compared to what we saw last year in his six starts, and we won all six games, <laughs> we're we're not, we're not seeing that for sure. I think he's, with Colbert, not, I think with Colbert, I think you said earlier with the killer Witherspoon, but with Colbert, I see it more clearly, and it's just eye discipline. Where are your right. eyes, and, and where are you understanding that you have this middle area that you've got to cover, and you can't bite because if you take a false step with the speed in the NFL, you're, you're cooked, you're toast. And, and the two plays that I called out on Yankee, both were eye discipline issues. I think. One was Tyreek Hill made a pretty good move to the outside that he made it. He sold it like a post. But again, Colbert has to understand the structure of the defense. He has no threat on the other side of the field. And he's got one person who, who's going to run to the sideline. And if he does, he's going to have a cornerback there to support. If he comes back based on the overall route concept, you know that you're, you're in danger. So you have to stay over the top of that. You can't turn your hips as he did. And that wasn't the worst of it because he was still in a place to make a tackle. Um, but the the play against Fitzgerald, I mean, he said it himself. He saw Fitzgerald move in front and he moved up because he thought that's where the ball must be going. 
rather than than play within structure, he thought, oh, let me go ahead and make a play. Let me go ahead and do too much. And, and I think that might be the folly of youth. I think that's the I'm young. I have to make a play. I have to prove that I'm not a seventh round pick, even though I was. And, and that's how you get him trying to come up on, you know, an old ass Fitzgerald right. who's not running away from anyone and instead letting their deep threat get past him. It, it, it's tough because, I mean, first of all, Fitzgerald was he had two guys running with him. So yeah, because Ruben Ruben Foster carries him. That's the one thing Ruben Foster does really, really well. If we're gonna, you know, sprinkle in a little linebacker yeah. here, whenever you've got that crosser going in the intermediate level, Ruben Foster turns and runs. He's yeah. had a couple of remarkable coverage plays where he carries fast wide receivers across the field, and he can do that. He's got two players there. You you had one job, Colbert. You had one job. Yeah, he had one job, and it's tough. And one thing, you know, it's tough because. With, with the single high safety, you don't want to completely take away their aggressive, aggressiveness and just having them sitting single high and not making any plays. Um, you know, I, I go back to Earl Thomas. And last year, you know, they the there was the Seahawks against the Texans, and they caught a bomb, you know, over his head. He he was at fault. Yeah, Will, Will Fuller coming from the left side, ran a deep post, just outran um, Griffin, and, you know, for a 60-yard touchdown or whatever. But if you are going to give up those type of plays, at least make plays. And and soon after that play, like maybe a series or two after that, Earl Thomas got a pick six. You know, he he returned the interception for a touchdown, jumped it underneath route, picked it off, took it to the house. Um, the 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 issue with the 49ers right now is they're giving up plays and they're not making any plays. Nobody in the secondary is making any plays. Like. Do we have any interceptions from anyone outside of Dante Exum? I mean, any of our regular starters. Tart, no picks. He had a chance to make a big game against uh, a, a big play against uh, the Vikings, and it just went off his hands. Uh, Akilla Witherspoon, no interceptions. Sherman has played very well. hasn't had as many targets, but still, no interceptions. Colbert, no picks. So, not only are we having you know these dropping coverages here and there, but we're also not making any plays, and I think that's. That's an even bigger issue. Well, let's talk about one guy who's making a few plays, and that's going to be Greg Maben. So Greg Maben's someone who has been rotating in with the Killer Witherspoon. He was on the team last year, of course. Didn't have a great year last year, but you know he, he wasn't a, a super high draft pick. Uh, actually, I have to check to see if he was even drafted he was at all. Yeah, I was, uh, yeah, I don't think he was drafted. But but now he's been rotating in, and he's played about fifty snaps, which is about a game's worth of tape. And he's actually put together some really, really good performances. I noticed a play a couple weeks ago uh, on the, uh, I think it was against the Chargers, where he single-handedly blew up a pick play on the goal line. And that's not something that a corner does often, where he is able to get physical on the line scrimmage and say, nope, doesn't matter. I'm within that one yard. I understand the rules. I know what I can do to you. And I'm breaking up this play. His 85.5 grade uh, in about one game's worth of snaps is, is tops from weeks three to five. So he right. is the, the and again, small sample size, and, and maybe that's what got us with Witherspoon and Colbert, but in the small sample size, he's played really well. What are you seeing from Maben, at least in limited snaps, that makes the coaches want to rotate him in? Yeah, man, um, he's playing with confidence. And if you just look at his body language, you look at how he's playing compared to, like, a Witherspoon has, who's been, you know, like I say, he's going through those different things, whether it's injuries and getting yanked in and out. His confidence isn't up. Maben's is up. And, you know, watching him and, you know, if I'm just going to compare those two, the, the ceiling is higher for a killer with a spoon as far as just natural talent, you know, physical attributes. Uh, all of those things is higher for a killer with a spoon, but it's not always the most athletic person that plays the best. And I think Maven, Maven is a testament to that. He's doing everything right when I'm watching him hands on. He's squeezing down on stuff. He's being aggressive. He's coming up and running support. Um, I believe he may have had like a forced fumble. Um, you know, he's trying to tackle the ball. I like that. You know, guys trying to rip the ball out as they're tackling someone. Um, there's just a lot of good things that I see from him. He just looks like he's playing pretty sound. Um, and has a really good understanding of what they're asking him to do. And he's executing it, at least in the small sample size, as, as you said. In the small sample size that he's been in, he's been doing those things. He's not, um, you know, someone that you would, want to go into your season as the starter i don't think he's like you know twitchy i don't think he has the quickest of feet um those type of things but i think if he has to come in and play 
he, he can be that guy. And so far he, he's shown to, you know, do well. Like I, I would rather have him in than, than uh, Ward, you know. I think, he, I think you're absolutely right. Having him in sure. instead of Ward makes a ton of sense. But if you're the coaching sure. staff, you, you know, what, what's the line you're trying to walk here? As a player, what would have you preferred? Would you have preferred, and you, meant, you kind of alluded it earlier, Witherspoon feeling like he's going to get yanked if he does any little thing wrong and, and the team kind of rotating them in? Or would you prefer, as a player, the team just kind of sticking with one player for a game, seeing how it goes, and then, and then kind of going, going or figuring it out from there? I think considering the circumstances, I probably would have given Akello a little bit longer leash. You know, he's coming off of injuries and he's having all those things. So, you know, I, I probably would have given him a few more weeks and then be like, okay, well, now you're healthy and you're not playing well. So, you know, now we're going to start rotating guys. I, I don't think I would have done it, you know, week four. Uh, you know, they started doing that as far as, you know, Okay, we don't know who's going to start or who's going to play. We're going to rotate guys. We're going to rotate Kilo. We're going to rotate uh, Maven. We're going to rotate Ward. They were rotating three corners in that game. I wouldn't have started that week four. I, I would have started that a little bit later if I am confident that Kilo Witherspoon can get back to what he was last year. Now, if I have no conf- I don't want to say no confidence in Kilo, but if I just think ah, it's kind of a lost cause, then yeah, you might as well just start rotating guys. But once you start doing that, you really do ruin the guy's confidence. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I hadn't, I hadn't actually thought about that when you think all of, all of a sudden when you make a little mistake and, and you could be out. And that's, that's a great point. Now, the last person I want to talk about is going to be in the old reliable section. And now you would think we'd talk about Richard Sherman here. Richard Sherman's played great. He's actually been a top 15 graded corner for players that have played at least 78 snaps. Uh, and so, and of course, there was a couple graphics that PFF posted this week about him, uh, you know, not allowing a, a cover snap or not allowing a reception, like, you know, a bunch of snaps. He's been playing decently well. I think he's everything that we wanted him to do when we, when we signed him off of that Achilles. But I actually wanted to talk about someone else that has played decently well and who hasn't gotten a lot of attention, and that's K1 Williams. He's played in five games, has been relatively quiet, which at his position is pretty good. He, his grade puts him in the top 25 for, for players that have played at least 78 snaps, uh, 78 coverage snaps. His 132 snaps in the slot, he's 15th, uh, he's top 15 in snaps per reception. He's never had a terrible game. He may be one of the few defensive backs who can make consistent tackles. He's not spectacular, but he's old reliable. Uh, I mean, that's that's exactly the type of player that you want, at least for for this burgeoning defense. If you're not going to have a superstar there, I think the Eagles this year have shown with with Patrick Robinson leaving that if you don't have solid play at your slot position, all of a sudden your defense begins to crumble. Uh, what have you seen from Kwan uh, this season? You were mentioning earlier that he's a good player in the box. That kind of you know kind of I guess makes him old reliable. Yeah, I mean, I've always felt like you know just since watching him. You know, watching him since last year, anything eight yards and in, including runs, oh, he's all over it. One of the best slots um, in that area that I've seen. His coverage is extremely tight, um, eight yards and in. Uh, run support, he's great. There's plays. Um, you can go back to the Rams game last year, and you see him just throw Cooper Cup to the ground and make a tackle on um, on uh, Todd Gurley running right at him. Uh, super feisty. Great, great there. Um, downfield, he's kind of had a little bit of laps. Now, some of them, I don't know if it's how they're being taught or if that's if he just had a mental lapse. But, you know, we can go to the – we can start off with the game with the the uh, Lions. It was Golden Tate. He ran a wheel route. You might remember the play. It was like 30 to 17. Um, we had them backed up. I think at this time we were up still like 30 to 13. And this big play kind of sparked their comeback. But third and seventeen, and they got a they got kind of like a flood concept with the outside guy running a post. So Killer Willis has to go with the post. The number two guy, which was Golden Tate, ran a wheel route, and then also they had a running back that kind of went out to the flats. Now technically, his responsibility as cover three, just when you draw it up, is kind of seems to flat. So he had a flat player, but if he doesn't run with that wheel nobody's going to be there. So you can see that he tried to play in between the wheel and the flat route by the running back. And uh, Matthew Stafford, by enough time, stepped up in the pocket and threw the ball deep to Golden Tate. 
it's it's only on him if his coach tells him like I tell my kids that I coach you have to run with the wheel if you're a slot you have to run with the wheel and cover three yeah you want to get or beat. it's going to be you, you protect deep and you give up the flat right. and hope that the defense can rally and tackle right now with Salah I don't know what what he's telling these dudes because there's so many drop coverages <laughs> and there's so many things that is like why aren't you harping on these things and these are elementary things why aren't they understanding it more um, so I don't know exactly what he's being taught. But if he is being taught that he has to run with that will, then that's definitely on him. And that's one play that was a negative on him. There was another play where Vikings kind of put him in a bind. It was like a third and five situation. Um, he let uh, Thielen go kind of up the sideline. And the announcer was like, well, he's supposed to be here. He's supposed to be on, on Thielen right here. What the announcer didn't see was um, Diggs coming over on the crosser and sitting down. So he had he was – pretty much in between two guys that were wide open and they threw it to uh, Thielen. That was like Thielen's like biggest gain of the game, maybe like 40 yards or something like that. Um, he's been put in those tough situations where it's like, you know, there's kind of a lose-lose type situations. But outside of that, man, he's he's been good. Uh, I have no complaints over our slot play from him. I love him against the run. I love him on everything short. He has a really good understanding of the defense outside of, you know, a couple of those plays where he got put in a tight spot. But uh, Kawan Williams, man, like you said, all reliable. He's been really good, really good signing, a really good signing. I know they extended him early last year, but uh, I, I think it was money well spent. Yeah, I, you know, I think you're right. The, the middle of the field is now where teams are are feasting. And, I mean, you, you identified a couple of plays there, especially against Minnesota. I mean, Thielen in the slot is is ridiculous and i think you, you want slot defenders it, it is a, effectively a starter position now in the nfl and and while k1 is not spectacular necessarily i think he he offers right now the most reliable member of the he secondary. does his job yeah That's him him and sherman job. him and sherman they're the two i think bright spots in the secondary right now and and if hopefully if you know akella maybe gets back to form and he gets healthy if adrian colbert you know finally kind of becomes a bit more settled i think maybe over I think the he's course of the year, too. Health, uh, yeah, he had, like, a hip hamstring injury. injury early on. So yeah, it was hamstring, then it turned into a hip, and and I mean that's all connected, right? Um, yeah. So all right, so you're the coach, Eric. You're the coach. You've got to start a defensive backfield against the Green Bay Packers. It's Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> it's Aaron Rodgers at quarterback, sure. But outside of Devontae Adams, you've got some wide receivers that yeah, maybe you think you can match up well against. Uh, wh- who do you trot out? as your starting defensive backfield against Green Bay on Monday night? Uh, I'm starting my guys. I'm starting I'm starting Sherman. I'm starting Kawhi Williams. I'm starting Akello, Colbert, Tart. But my my leash with Akello is a lot shorter now. You know, now I've given him his time. You know, you've had your opportunities to play, make plays. You know, you haven't been making them. Akello, I believe in you. But, you know, and, and I might, might not tell him this, but I might whisper it to Maven. Maven, stay ready. <laughs> um, so that that's how we handle that situation. Um, and, and you know, there's a guy that we don't we don't talk about, but uh, Mosley. And I I don't know if you saw uh, Emmanuel Mosley. They he played more in the slot, but I, I think that he'd be really good on the outside. He's five eleven, about one eighty five, extremely twitchy, um, graded excellent in all his um testing uh i i love the way he moved i liked a lot of his film i thought he was aggressive especially for somebody with a slight frame and i'm surprised that they haven't given him more look on the outside i know he's on practice squad right now i guess the team tried to, he they've had some interest with teams trying to get him off of the 49ers practice squad and they just upped his uh pra- practice squad money to kind of you know keep him kind of happy and staying here in santa Clara. but um that would be somebody that i would possibly bring up to go on the outside i know there's dj reed but you know emmanuel mosley is somebody that i i think he can play the scheme and fit it very well and play well and he's just not getting that opportunity so if i was a coach he probably would be somebody that i would look to you know have active for a game all right eric well thanks again for coming on the show it was good to talk uh, a little bit of defensive back with you and and you know, I think if if this continues to be a theme, uh, we'll come back. You know, we're we're calling the the segment "Going Deep" with Eric Crocker. So uh, we'll, uh, hopefully, we don't have these issues. Yeah. Man. I'm, I'm losing my hair. I'm losing my hair. I hope I hope they get it together, man. Yeah, I do too, man. I do too. Well, have a good night and uh, and and thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it. All right, no problem. Thank you. 
Well, that does it for this week's edition of the Better Rivals podcast. A special thanks to Ted Nguyen from The Athletic for coming on to talk about the, the games, both past and future. And thanks again to friend of the pod, Eric Crocker, for coming on and introducing me to a new term, running up the seam, buck naked. I'm definitely going to use that from now on. You can always follow me at Better Rivals. Make sure to tune in next week. And as always, go Niners. Hey, I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. Why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function.